0: All right. Our first scripture reading is from the Psalms. Psalms 1 that is not the psalm. Let's go. Psalms 148. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord from the heavens. Praise him in the heights, praise him all his angels, praise him all his hosts. Praise Him, sun and moon. Praise Him, all you shining stars. Praise Him, you highest heavens and you waters above the heavens. Let them praise the name of the Lord, for He has commanded that they were created. He established them forever and ever. He fixed their bounds which cannot be passed. Praise the Lord from the earth, you sea monsters and all the deeps, and fire and hail and snow and frost, stormy wind and fulfilling His command. Mountains and all hills, fruit trees and all cedars, wild animals and all the cattle, creeping things and flying things, kings of the earth and all people, princes and all rulers of this earth, young men and women alike, old and young together, let them praise the name of our Lord. For his name alone is to be exalted. His glory is above every earth and heaven. He has raised up a horn for his people. Praise for all of his faithfulness. For the people of Israel who are close to him, we say praise ye the Lord. The word of God for the people of God.
1: We read from the New Testament this morning, Colossians Giving thanks to God the Father through him. The Word of God for the people of God. Be
2: to God. Our
1: Gospel text today is from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 2,
2: verses 41 through 52. Now, every year his parents went to Jerusalem for the festival of the Passover. And when he was 12 years old, they went up as usual for the festival. When the festival was ended and they started to return, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem, but his parents did not know it. Assuming he was in the group of travelers, they went a day's journey. Then they started to look for him among their relatives and friends. And when they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem to search for him. After three days, they found him in the temple, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard were amazed at his understanding and his answers." When his parents saw him, they were astonished, and his mother said to him, Child, why have you treated us like this? Look, your father and I have been searching for you in great anxiety. He said to them, Why were you searching for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? But they did not understand what he he said to them. Then he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was obedient to them. His mother treasured all these things in her heart. And Jesus increased in wisdom and in, and in years, and in divine and human favor. The word of God for the people of God. So Christmas carols are a joy, aren't they? I said this during our Christmas Eve service, but I'll say it again. Hearing a room full of folks singing carols adds 20 voices to the room easy, right? It doesn't matter... Uh, how many people are in the space, it just seems like everyone's singing louder and with more joy to, for Christmas carols, at least for the first and last verses of most Christmas carols. <laughs> I noticed that during our Christmas Eve service, how we would sing joy to the world, and then as soon as we get to the second or third voice, it was not as much joy to the world as much as mm hmm mm-hmm. You know, it's, uh, it's, I know uh, my friends that were in choir in high school always said that if you didn't know the words, you just said watermelon over and over again because your mouth was moving enough to where everybody thought that Steve's nodding like this is a normal thing. Uh, so it's, you know, kind of one of those middle verse things because often those middle verses are the ones that we kind of skip over that a lot of times when there's a recording of the song, you don't hear it as often. So these middle verses... Because uh, they, they're a little bit more hit and miss, right? They're, sometimes they don't really necessarily bring home the theme of the song as much as what the first and last verse does. Uh, one of the, the hymns that I noticed that in specifically was Away in a Manger. So during our Christmas Eve service, we sang Away in a Manger. And does anybody off the top of their head know the, the, the second verse to Away in a Manger? No, that's the last verse, see? Uh, that's because that one's good, right? The poor baby wakes. wakes. Exactly. Okay. So it says, uh, you know, the cattle are lowing the poor baby awakes, but little Lord Jesus, no crying he makes. You see, Eden knows it because she had to do the hand motions. Um, so a lot of these Christmas hymns we sing, you know, were written 150, 250 years ago and uh, Away in a Manger is no different. Uh, The first time that we've seen this verse, uh, the first two verses, was in 1882 in a uh, magazine, basically, uh, that claimed that this was the lullaby that Martin Luther sang to his kids, which I doubt sincerely, I don't know if you'll notice, our offertory hymn today was a Martin Luther song. Doesn't sound anything like Away in a Manger, uh, both in quality of tune and also in what the words are trying to say. It was not very much, not very poetic. It's a lot more, we're going to say something. Uh, That's how he tended to write music. Uh, So I doubt sincerely that he actually did write this for his children. More likely than not, it was written by the guy who typed that into that magazine and then claimed that it was written by Martin Luther. Uh, But this verse along with the first verse were in there in 1882. And I don't know about y'all, but it sounds like something that was written in the mid-1800s because the, the, the concept of this baby awakening in the middle of the night and not making a noise is basically saying, hey, you know what's terrible? Crying children. You know what's great? Jesus. I bet Jesus didn't cry. There's no scriptural reference that says this. It is entirely kind of made up by this person that's basically imposing their own... Whacked out morality on this baby by basically saying that all crying babies are sinning, and since Jesus didn't sin, you know, ergo, no crying Jesus. So, but crying is a natural response of an infant. It is a way a baby lets their parent know that something's going on. So, if this baby's not actually crying, what is this baby doing? So, is Jesus being fully God, you know, awakening by the sound of this lowing cattle and saying, Mary, I believe I've soiled myself. I would like for you to take care of this. (laughs) That adds to the added question of did Jesus soil himself? Because this guy that wrote this in 1882 probably would disagree because that makes him uncomfortable. But Jesus, even baby Jesus, fully God and fully human, went through everything that we went through. So this understanding of the, the, the noise and the smell and the pain and the, the, the confusion that would have happened on the Christmas night with this baby being born is uncomfortable. We want the, the nativity scene to be a crash on a mantelpiece with no movement, no confusion, no pain, a still life in essence. But we know that's not what life is like. That's what was on my mind when I started reading the gospel text this week. Now, when Alicia and I first uh, saw in the lectionary that it was at the end of Luke 2, and uh, our natural connection with Luke 2, with the nativity story, Alicia said, okay, this must be the circumcision text, uh, which is the natural response. But that happened a couple of verses before this. Uh, Suddenly, we hop from newborn Jesus to 12-year-old Jesus we are surprised to see that this story, the story of being left in the temple, is even what we're reading the week after Christmas. There's still a tree up, and suddenly this newborn is a preteen, right? But that's what we have with the scripture text, and I think it has a lot to say to our understanding of Christmas, to the understanding of God coming to be with us today. In this story, we see a family who is so wrapped up in their religious life, that they join a caravan yearly to go to church. This Passover festival in Jerusalem would be a long trek for folks in Nazareth. It's not Bethlehem, which is right down the road from Jerusalem. It is a long journey. And the fact that they're taking it with all of these people from their town show that Mary and Joseph care about Jesus' religious upbringing. This is a family who cares about the religious ritual in their life. They care about what this religious upbringing does for themselves and for their family. They look. They are with a group of people who look after each other, who take this journey yearly as a group. Maybe Jesus was, uh, you know... Riding alongside in an, with an elder, right? Talking about all of the stuff that he's talking with folks in the temple. Maybe he's kicking a ball down the street with a bunch of kids his age. That's the reason that Mary and Joseph don't know where he is for a day. Can you imagine not knowing that your kid isn't with you? It's a very much, it's a Kevin McAllister situation. But it's a Kevin McAllister situation because, that's the kid from Home Alone, if anybody can't remember Kevin McAllister's a kid from Home Alone. If I said Macaulay Culkin, that might have been easier. Um, uh, But they're going through this because there's so much joy and so much extended family with them. Now, I know this feeling, very much so. Alicia just nods as soon as I say that, because I don't know if y'all have met Winifred June, but she is the (laughs) fastest kid alive far and away to the point where when we have family gatherings Alicia's family is very large we have a lot of people around the the thing we have to continue hammering home is that if no one is wa- or if everyone is watching Winnie no one is watching Winnie because she can get away so fast and we Never has that been more the case than this Thanksgiving. So every Thanksgiving we spend the majority of the day at Alicia's cousin Kalki's house. Uh, Kalki and his wife Wendy live in a bungalow in Midtown uh, that is relatively, it's a nice house uh, with a huge backyard that has a lot of space. And that's normally where our crew camps out because there is a nice swing set, there's a big fort for the kids to play, uh, and then there's a fire pit for all the adults to sit around and chat. And it's really nice. Uh, and so we're all sitting around and enjoying the evening. It was a relatively, you know, that brisk uh, November in Mef- in Memphis. It's nice. Uh, and suddenly, Kalki comes out onto the patio, holding Winnie by the hand. And we said, hey, where'd she come from? And he said, uh, I went to take the trash out, and I saw Winnie just walking up and down the sidewalk. Um, so the... the there's never been a, a deeper fear in my soul in that moment, but basically she just felt so comfortable. Uh, she just walked out with Kalki's grandfather as Kalki's grandfather was leaving uh, and uh, just walked around for a minute. We don't know how long she was out there, but she was fine uh, as you can see um, but that was that kind of put a damper on the rest of the Thanksgiving for us if i if I say so myself but Just like us in that situation, Mary and Joseph were comfortable with their village. Mary and Joseph were comfortable with the family they had around them. It's a village they seem comfortable raising their son in. It's a village they seem comfortable enjoying as a family. And in this story, we see a glimpse of Jesus as their son, right? We talk so much of Jesus as the son of God, as God coming to earth. We don't think often about Mary and Joseph as parents raising this kid, right? We don't get many stories like this. But this is the son they're called to raise and care for. This is the son that when they realize that he's not there, we can feel their fear. Even in this short story, we feel their anxiety. We can feel their worry. And when they find him again, we can feel that wonderful mix of relief and, boy, what did you just do? You know what I'm saying? This, oh, this kid done messed up feeling. So when we read the text this week, my whole household, because my household was full this week, started talking about this story and about what did Jesus, did Jesus mess up here? How can, can Jesus mess up this whole conversation of is he disrespecting his mom in this situation? How is, is he talking back? What is going on, right? What is the gospel reader trying to tell us? It's it's hard to imagine this pubescent know-it-all Jesus. You know what I'm saying? This, the the one who, because we know every 12-year-old goes through this, right? Isn't this the natural response to to being this age? We've all met Easton. We know how this works. (laughs) But... (laughs) The kid is at best being obtuse, and at worst, he's being belligerent. He's been gone for three days by the time they see him. And when she says, Hey, you've made us a worried wreck, what did you do? And he's like, You should have known I've been here. When I was a kid, I read that story and I said, Yeah, Jesus, you tell him. (laughs) And now that I'm a parent, I say, He's talking back. Can you believe he'd do this? You know how I'm saying? The Lord would never. (laughs) I've heard this story preached quite a few times, and I've heard preachers try to jump through 16 different hoops to try to make it to where Mary's the one who messed up. You know what I'm saying? Because we have to protect the sinlessness of Christ in order to tell this story. We have to find a way to make Jesus' actions okay. It's hard for us to ignore the humanity of Jesus in this story. We finagle it, try to hide any of the the rough edges behind props on stage. But this Christmas time, as we're celebrating the idea of God coming to be with us, we have to take this moment and stare right into the humanity of Jesus for a second and see ourselves in it. I remember the first time I saw a passion play that included just a scene where Jesus was laughing and dancing and walking through a party and shaking hands with people or playing hopscotch with children, and I was aghast. I was a new Christian, 13, 14 years old, and I said, "What? How did, how, this isn't in the Bible. We don't know that he had a good time, and if he did have a good time, how are you going to show it without accidentally showing him sinning? How are you going to pull this off? Because we're so scared of showing Jesus being human because we're scared of our own humanity. We're scared of who we are as people, and we're scared of the parts of us that we feel are inherently bad or the parts of us that we're kind of ashamed of, even if they're not bad. And we don't want to equate any of that to God. We don't want to connect any of that to God. We're scared of who we are, and we're grossed out by the idea of a God who would care about us in this state. So we hide these parts of ourselves. We ignore them. We try to to gussy them up to where we're looking a lot nicer than we actually are. We put on a face. But the idea... Of a Jesus who came as a crying, stinky baby or a cranky 12-year-old upsets us for the same reason. We don't want to see these things because it reminds us of us. But that's the gospel, y'all. The gospel is that a God cares about us so much that he came and experienced the life that we experience. This is a God that redeems us, and that doesn't mean wiping away all of our personality, individuality, and quirks, but rather sanctifies them, beautifies them, and completes them. When I see this story, I see a God who is bigger than our tense family moments, where everyone seems like they're yelling at each other. I see a God who's not only not scared to get involved in our lives he's not scared to live it he's not scared to experience it this god of ours came and lived a human life not in some pristine precious moments kind of way but in a real smelly dirty kind of way that is sometimes hard that is sometimes un- Uncomfortable, and sometimes it is exactly what it needs to be. So this God who's present when we speak too tersely to our kids, this God who's present when the baby won't stop crying, when our uncle said the dumbest thing you can imagine, all of these moments, God is in it. God is there because God's been there before in the life of Jesus. So we can be honest with ourselves and with each other because we don't have to be scared of our failings, our missteps, our questions. We can share them with each other and with God. We can be the kind of community that Mary and Joseph had that walk the walk together, even on the long journeys, who enjoy the high moments, who help in the low moments. Because you know good and well, Mary and Joseph didn't go back to Jerusalem alone. That caravan came with them and they were searching just along with them. Sometimes this means having hard conversations. But sometimes it means just sharing a meal, playing a game, helping each other enjoy each other's presence. It's in these moments that we let God speak through the lives of those around us we let God speak through the humanity of those around us. Now these lives can be old, they can be young, they can be new Christians, they can be wizened sages. They can have it all together or they can be struggling to make it through the day. Because the incarnation shows us that shortcomings and limitations can be moments where wisdom shows up, just like the moments of triumph and virtue are moments where wisdom shows up. God can speak through all of it. Because we are broken, and we fail, and we falter, but God can and does use us to tell marvelous stories to each other. They can paint glorious pictures for each other to see. So listen to the stories. Look at the splendor in the lives of those around you. In doing this, we can honor the incarnate God, the God who comes and lives among us, the God who comes to our neighborhood, the God who cared for us enough to live a life like ours. And we can honor the humanity in our brothers and sisters by seeing Christ in them and also allow us to show the love of Christ to each other. Let us pray.